0: This is the Bigger Pockets podcast show 779.
1: I went from delivering pizzas to a deli- to a nine-figure real estate career, which was absolutely insane. And she literally said to me the words that changed my life. You're just too ambitious. This is big money and you could lose your damn shirt. Real estate is the freedom vehicle period.
0: What's going on, everyone? Is David Green your host of the Bigger Pockets Real Estate Podcast, the biggest, the best, the baddest real estate podcast in the world? Joined today by a fellow bad man, Robert Alasolo. Rob, how are you feeling today?
2: I'm feeling good. I'm feeling energized. I walked ten thousand steps today. I worked out. I launched a company. I did. I. I. You know, it's like the the running joke on on Instagram where they're like, start an LLC by six a.m. Uh, I actually did. Not by six, but like later on. So it feels good. I'm feeling. like I got a a, a new a new vibe about me. How about that?
0: Apparently, walking ten thousand steps can completely change your life. So there you have it. This is what Rob considers exercise. And and well, no,
2: I also worked out. Cool, it, pal.
0: Okay, so I thought you were saying the workout was the ten thousand steps, and I was a little disappointed. That's in addition to the workout. Now I'm getting excited. Okay.
2: And 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 very important. Uh, I. I, through, through new compass send company, I was able to save us four to $600,000 in taxes on our Scottsdale property through cost segregation and bonus depreciation and all that good stuff. So yeah, it always feels nice to lower your tax bill.
0: Oh yeah. And I love that you took credit for it. Like you invented cost segregation or had the, the crazy idea to utilize it for the situation where that's one of the reasons we bought the house, but that's true. <laughs> however,
2: however, my company is a cost segregation company, and thus,
0: oh, it, it I did not know is. about this. You have yeah. a cost segregation company now. I do. Uh huh. All right, well, slow down over there, Turbo. We are. You're making all the rest of us feel inferior.
2: Well, you have like 18 companies. You start LLCs by like like 15 LLCs by 5 a.m.
0: That's me. I'm that guy. Jocko's up doing a workout, and I'm up starting an LLC. That's exactly <laughs> right. In today's show, we interview Pamela Bardi, who has a fascinating story who went from delivering $9 pizzas to owning a nine-figure real estate portfolio. And you can too. We interview Pamela and she shares a lot of practical advice as well as uh, sort of the emotional parts of her story where her brain clicked, things changed, and she got off of the wrong path and onto the right path where she's now living her best life. And we are excited to bring this to you, Rob. What were some of your favorite parts of today's show?
2: Um, I think it's honestly, it's a really great story because we get right into why she wants to build generational wealth. A lot of people just sort of toss that out there, but she gave us the motivation on on how to do that. Um, she talked about how she found a mentor that helped guide her through a lot of her first deals and how that led into a lot of the successes. Um, She's done a hundred deals and she's like 31. I mean, it's like a very uh, motivating guest to have on the pod.
0: And very fun too. You guys are going to love this one. You're going to want to go follow her when you're done. Before we bring in Pamela, today's quick tip is you've got the skills. Now go put them to work in real estate. Many people listening to this, yes, you, as you're listening right now, have specific skills that you develop through life experiences or workplace experiences or a combination of the two. Those will help you in your real estate career. Just look for the right opportunity to use them. And a bonus quick tip to listen for, your pizza delivery guy may help you build a deal funnel for deals. Listen to today's show to find out how. All right, let's bring in Pamela. Pamela, welcome to the Bigger Pockets podcast. How are you today?
1: I am doing lovely, my friend. How are you?
0: I am wonderful. And I'm excited to dig into your story here. There's so many cool parts of it. So people have a little understanding of your background. You have done over 100 deals between flips and renovations, currently own 27 units, have been investing for 10 years in Boston. And as a fun fact, you side hustled as a DJ in... College, anything that I missed.
1: Sounds about right. And I'm a dog
2: mom. I have two dogs. Whenever I used to travel, I would get that creeping feeling that I locked my back door. How do I know my property is gonna be safe while I'm away? But not anymore, thanks to Simply Safe home security. I'm about to go on a three-week trip to Copenhagen, but am I tripping about my trip? Nope. With award-winning security and peace of mind from Simply Safe, I don't need to worry. Simply Safe is a super amazing alarm system that I actually installed in my house myself personally. You're trying to close on your next rental, so why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit
0: Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. So Pamela, what are your dog's names first off? Let's give them a shout out.
1: Absolutely. Rhea, who's five years old, and Blue, who's a year and a half. They are hilarious.
0: Okay. This sounds like the makings of a country song already up to a great start here. is it do you call him old blue by chance? I feel like you gotta call the dog old before blue.
1: I have not yet but I've definitely got to mention that to him. He is a spunky dude. All right
0: <laughs> so tell me how has real estate investing transformed your life up to this point?
1: Where do I even begin? I mean it, it's transcended generations from me at this point, which is I think the most beautiful part of it all. By the time I was 27 I I went from delivering pizzas to a deli- to a nine figure. Real estate career, which was absolutely insane. And, you know, in the development game, getting in the development game, the construction game, you know, learning about how to add value to properties and all these different things. And then building my own portfolio in this realm has really enabled me to kind of be financially free at such a young age and also create generational wealth for my family to come and generations beyond that, if they're smart with it, of course. And maintain what I've what I've established, but yes, that's I think the most powerful thing about real estate. It's it's a long game, right? You guys say that all the time, like it's a long game. Aside from that, too, is also community, right? Like, how cool is it that real estate is the space? Like, as developers and as people in real estate, we help to define communities, right? Like, we help get people into those homes. We create those homes. You know, there's all there's a whole you know, ideology that I have all about all of that, but it's just the coolest thing in the world for me. That's really cool.
2: Well, I don't want to, I don't want to glaze over what you said, which is like you went from delivering 9 dollar pizzas to building a nine figure real estate business that that's really cool uh, one thing that you that you mentioned was generational wealth and i i was just sort of curious on is there a particular reason why you want to build generational wealth cuz that is something we talk about a lot in real estate but i don't think we ever get into why that's important to the actual individual is there anything in particular that that resonates for you why that's such an
1: important goal totally so i mean i came to the us when i was about 5 years old and And my parents came here with nothing to build the American dream. And really everything from such a young age for me in my ear was build for your family, build for the future, do all of that stuff. And then my parents, you know, getting into business and all of that. And then me eventually getting into real estate. I saw the impact of all of that kind of in the long run. And I understood how powerful real estate truly is. I mean, you know, we all think about like, oh, let's make money. Let's do this. Let's get into real estate. Let's do this long term. And then we really look at it. And most people don't ask themselves, like, why am I doing this? You know, like, why hustle so hard? Why do this? Why why go crazy over all of this? And the answer is legacy, right? Why are we working our tails off at this point? It's so that our generations can then have something we didn't have and continue to elevate the generational line continuously down the line because real estate builds that wealth. I mean, uh, last stat I read was uh, 76% of the U.S., their main source of wealth comes from their primary residence, which is insane. You know, they take equity lines of credit to pay for college. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff. Like, this is a powerful wealth vehicle for Americans.
0: So as we mentioned, you're in Boston now. Is that where you grew up?
1: Yeah. So when I was five years old, we moved to Boston, Mass. And that's where we've been kind of this whole time since we came from Italy. Because I was born in Tirana, Albania, which is right above Greece, moved to Italy when I was about six months old. And then we won the visa lottery when I was about five to come to the US and we came straight to Boston.
0: Okay. So you were five years old when you came here. So most of your life you've lived here. How did you avoid picking up the Boston accent? I don't hear any of it right now.
1: I don't know. I See, the thing is, Dave, uh, a lot of people tell me that I do have it. They're like, oh, you're, oh you must be from Boston. And I'm like, I don't have an accent.
0: <laughs> tell me that you parked the car near the water. No, near the Havid Yad.
1: I parked the car near Harvard Yard and see, I see my R's and everything. I'm like, I don't know what, where do the people say I got the Boston accent? It's hilarious.
0: (laughs) All right. So you avoided a Boston accent, but you did not avoid being exposed to entrepreneurialism. I understand that you went to college. What was your major in school?
1: So when I went to undergrad, I went to Stonehill College. And I literally thought, so my parents came here when I was about five years old. Um, My dad ended up buying a restaurant when I was about 10. He he spent many, many years like working like three jobs. I barely saw my dad when we were growing up. So my dad worked all types of jobs and eventually ended up buying a restaurant because his best friend gave him a down payment to do so. And he said, hey, man, you know, the the way that you build wealth in America is one of two ways. A, you own real estate. B, you own your own business. He's like, I know you don't have the credit to buy real estate right now, but keep that in mind for the future. But here's a down payment. Go out and buy a restaurant." So my father bought a restaurant when I was about 10 years old, and it was the coolest thing ever because I just wanted to hang out with my dad, and so I dragged myself to work with him. When I went to college, though, ironically enough, my parents said, hey, Pam, you know, we really, like, we want you to get into something that's more secure. Like, we don't want you, like, working 12 to 14 hours like we do in our business and, you know, just so that you can get married, do, you know, start a family, do do that stuff, which is interesting coming from entrepreneurs, Right but the restaurant business is really tough, especially, you know, and growing up in the immigrant mentality of like, you know, how much you physically work determines your success levels. That's a whole nother thing. So when I went to college, I actually went in for marketing. I got like a full scholarship to Stonehill and I was wicked pumped. Boston came out. um, (laughs) And so, you know, and then I'm taking this applied calc for, um, supplied calculus class. And first off, like, I don't even understand algebra one, let alone algebra two, and then get into calculus. So I get to the middle of the semester and I have like a 40 in this class. And I'm like, I'm going to lose my scholarship. Like, I need to drop this class. I'm thinking that I went in for marketing, was then, you know, going to graduate nil and work corporate and then get into, you know, a nine to five. And then when I was 40, like, started business or something. That was not the case. I dropped this class and I thought my entire world ended (laughs) basically because I could no longer take that major because I needed that class.
0: Isn't it funny how certain classes click and they make all the sense in the world and other ones for the life of you, no matter how hard you work, something just doesn't fit. Like Very smart people can struggle with certain topics. I think a lot of people that go through an experience like yours, they feel there's something wrong with them it crushes their confidence. They think I'm just not meant for this. Other people are good at this, not me. And then the the saddest thing ever happens, they quit. They say, "All right, well, I'm just going to resign myself to being a secretary or playing small in some way because I tried and I wasn't smart enough. I didn't make it." Did you have a moment like that where you questioned your your ability to start a business, to be an entrepreneur, to be successful, or did you just have an unflappable confidence that carried you through that?
1: Well, you made a lot of interesting points there now what some classes struck more than others and it was so interesting to me how like I loved geometry I was a beast at chemistry like I had 101 average in chemistry like it's not even like I should have been in Breaking Bad like I should have been (laughs) casted for that at this point to be honest but it's it's I really got to a point where I got super down on myself I'm like dang like why don't I get this no matter like how much I try? It seems like I'm like beating myself against the wall and it's just not working. And, you know, I just, you know, I, I've i always been surrounded by incredible mentors and incredible souls in my life that were like, Pam, like, just because that doesn't work for you means that you just meant for something else. And that is totally cool and totally okay. And don't freak out. So I decided to then be dramatic and change my entire major to communications <laughs> in which I loved because I love people. I absolutely love people. And then shortly thereafter, I was missing the whole business piece because I love that. Business, you know, it's something I, that was kind of inherent to me. Like, imagine like you're in your the restaurant business since you were 10 years old. You develop all these business skills. I mean, my parents were making me pay bills by the time I was like 12. They're like, Pam, you call them and make the payment over the phone and I'm like I don't know what to say they're like well we can't speak english so you're going to have to do it you know and so <laughs> these like skill sets that you know I, as a kid you know I, I was like oh my god this is so annoying like no other kid has to do this but it built me into business so wh- reflecting back on that when I was in college it was kind of like well I'm missing the whole business element of this I love entrepreneurship so that's when um I decided to go into Stonehill and say hey I want to double major and I want to create my own major in entrepreneurship. And I remember it was Professor Ubertasio. And he's like, Pim, you'd be the first in school history to do that. I mean, we've had minors, but never a major. So that's when I combined the two. But even still at that point, still at that point, I didn't think that I was going to be an entrepreneur right when I graduated. I had another moment, another one.
2: Okay. All right. (laughs) So, well, first of all, I just had like a flashback to my childhood because my parents are also immigrants and I used to always have to call companies and pretend to be my dad or my mom, you know, whenever I had a higher voice. I did that. I've never met anyone else that had to do that. So small connection there. But uh, I know you were helping your parents out occasionally with the restaurant. You you picked up another sort of side hustle or uh, another part-time job in college too, right?
1: I created it. For sure. I've always loved music. I've always been at parties like under 21s, anyone, anything that I can get into, I was there. I was vibing. That was my jam. So come college days, you know, I'm a freshman going out on campus at Stonehill and I'm going to all these parties. I'm like, this music is horrendous. Like, you can't even dance to this. Like, who are these people? Who are, who's DJing these things? And so went back to my room with my three roommates and we just threw a party and it just, it got super wild, and from there my my name spread around campus, and all of a sudden I became d j pammy b and uh was getting paid stupid money per night to uh to d j and get free drinks and get free food and everything and back in two thousand and nine, that was a lot of money, like three hundred bucks a night plus food plus drinks was unreal. I was like, guys, I've made it <laughs> so it's something I did all four years, and it was a blast. It was cool because it was like, you know, you control the energy of the room. You're bringing different cultures together. It's a vibe, like, and and the stuff you see from the DJ booth is hysterical. <laughs> you you get the best view of all of it.
0: So this experience broke you out of the like paint color by number, go here, go there, go there. Here's the box you fit in. Then you move to this one and this one, the kind of the corporate world that you had were preparing yourself to get into, to seeing creativity, to seeing opportunity, to making your own way. Like I guess as a DJ, you can create the environment you want, as opposed to in the corporate world, you bounce around looking for the environment you want. What was the turning point where you decided you were going to do your own thing that you weren't going to wait until you were 40 to start that business?
1: Yeah, so it happened on accident. It was my junior year I was entering into. I was still fixated that I was going to be in marketing when I graduated undergrad. So I was like, you know what? Spring semester, I'm going to do an internship and I'm going to rock it. And so I got the internship, which was extremely difficult to get into. The end of the internship, I go in for my final review for my internship. And my supervisor's like, oh, yeah, Pam, like, you know, thank you so much for everything throughout the semester you know um and i'm like oh yeah no thank you guys learned so much this is so cool like what a, what a different experience for me you know what's my grade and of course i'm the kid that showed up every single day was going above and beyond was crushing it participating in everything like like teacher's pet level type stuff but i'm just built to do things at a very high level and to always be doing multiple things at once like i can't sit still right and so she's like oh Pam it's a b minus and i was like can I just ask why? You know, in in the interior of me was like filled with rage, right? Because I'm like, dude, I showed up, I did all the things. Why did I get a B minus here? Like, I get punished for doing the right thing. Like, I don't get it. And she literally said to me, the words that changed my life, you're just too ambitious. And I remember hearing that and just like, Going ballistic in my mind, like you know, but still got to keep your cool in front of people, right? Like you're like you're just too ambitious. Like I I like lost my mind. I'm like that's the one thing my parents always said to do was just to be ambitious and go out there and get it and whatever it is that you want, go get it. And that's what I did my whole life. Whatever I wanted, I got it. Period. Because I worked my tail off for it. Now, if it was meant for me or not, you know, dictates itself in the future. But you know. I remember walking out of that room, and you know, I said thank you so much. And you know, I was walking out of the office threshold door, and I remember, you know, just like little tap on my shoulder that was like, "Hey, Pam, you're not meant to work for anybody when you graduate. You're meant to do your own thing." This is why this didn't work out. And I felt this immediate relief, and I was like, "Oh, I get it." And uh, later that summer, you know, my dad had a vacancy coming up in his building uh, next to his restaurant, which is where I had been like my whole life, you know, that's where I worked and helped my parents and all of that. And uh, I had the opportunity to present a business plan to my dad. And so that's what I did and got prepared for senior year.
2: Okay. So, uh, so you, you tried too hard and you crushed it too hard at your internship and they're like, Hey, we don't like, we don't like overachievers over here. We, we only do the status quo. And so that sort of lit this fire in you to be like, all right, I'm going to be too ambitious, but for myself, uh, I feel like I said that weird myself. And uh, and then you called your parents and you're like, hey, guys, I'm I'm never going to work for somebody. And somehow, miraculously, I mean, I imagine they understood the grit that, that you had, but they were on board. And is this sort of like, did, did real estate come right into the picture as soon as the vacancy opened at your dad's place? Or was it some sometime after that?
1: It was sometime after that. So ironically, I had two restaurants by the time I was twenty one. Cause I was super young in college. So I graduated like a year early from from everyone. So I opened my first restaurant, which was RIA. And then I was offered a partnership opportunity on another restaurant in downtown Boston. So I had two restaurants that I was running. Wow. By like my senior year. At, and then at 21? Uh-huh. And uh wow. one of them, the one in downtown Boston, was like the biggest food operations in the entire country. So like, if you know where the Hatch Shell is in Boston, where they do July 4th, like the pops and all that. So my partner, we ran that. So we ran every food vendor from like the Mass Ave. So from the Museum of Science to the Mass Ave Bridge, which is miles. So we controlled that. And then we had a brick and mortar location as well. So, and I had another restaurant on top of that. So this was me at 21 hustling around. Like, I mean, working every single day because events, you know, is primarily weekends, right? And it's like 12 to 14 hour days. And I'm sitting here like, man, this is craziness. I'm like, I started two of my own businesses. I thought this was going to be the dream. And like, here I am, still hustling, still grinding, still working. (laughs) Like, what is going on? Right? I still wasn't fulfilled and it felt so messed up. This is another moment that I felt like down and out and failure on myself because I'm like, this is like people's dreams to open their own business. And here I am not fulfilled. I felt like an ungrateful, like little kid. I'm like, but I wasn't happy. And then, you know, these real estate developers started to come through our stores and my my restaurants. I'm like, who are these dudes, man? They come in like whenever they want. They have the nicest cars, the nicest clothes they are talking about their vacations and how they're going to leave on Thursday night to go to their, you know, vacation house. And I'm like, there is no way that they do anything legal. Like, these are drug dealers, a 100,000%. These are drug dealers. Like, there's no legality in what they do. And then I started talking to them. I'm like, what do you guys actually do? You know, I started getting into it. And they were telling me about making your money work for you. And just like concepts that you've never heard before. And here I was, you know, I went through undergrad, a very expensive undergrad. Luckily, I had it full scholarship there, but you know, did all the things that society told me to, right? Like, you know, and even started my own businesses and just all these things. And yet I still wasn't exposed to these ideologies and these types of businesses where, you know, making your money work for you, investing. Like what is what is that? You know, as an as an immigrant, we knew that hustle determined your success levels. Like if you weren't working, then you weren't successful. Period. And that's just the way it was. And so that's when I decided to go into real estate investing. Cause I was like, what is this game that they're talking about? Like, I don't know. I don't get it. Like, this is pretty, pretty cool. It's like, let me look into this. And that's when I dove in. So again, a whole nother accident that kind of just happened <laughs> on its own.
2: Wow. That's crazy. Well, you know, an accident quote unquote, but I think really it's, uh, your ability to adapt, I'm sure is sort of really what forms your entire career. So it's, it's really cool to hear this unfold. So let's get into your early deals. First, it sounds like you, uh, from from our previous talk, you, you had a mentor. So, what made you choose to get a mentor diving right into real estate?
1: Well, I mean, so my game plan in getting into real estate and the reason why I got into it was not for me to get out of restaurants. My whole game plan was like, hey, I want to do a flip or two per year, so that I can have some additional income, be you know, aside from my restaurants, and it's something that I can do because I don't have to be on site every day and you know all these things. So my uncle was a GC and all of that. And so I remember thinking about getting into it and I kept, I literally went to every networking event that I possibly could, connected with everyone that I possibly could. And everything, and this was around the time that HGTV was really blown up, flip or flop and all those shows were coming out and all of that. And I remember just thinking to myself, I'm like, Pam, you have so much to lose Like, you need to hire a coach like, you know, and my mentors were telling me the same thing. They're like, Pam, you know, this is a brand new game for you. You've got a lot to lose. You have two restaurants. You've got employees and things. You can't just like try to figure it out. This is big money where you could lose thousands. Like, yes, it's high risk, high reward, but you also it's high risk and you could lose your damn shirt. And so that that was that was the best move I ever did. Literally.
2: Yeah. Learn from someone else's experience. Right. Right. Um, and so obviously, it sounds like you were able to avoid a ton of mistakes, but you said that you wanted to do a couple of flips every single year to start making some extra income every single year. You landed on flips. How did you land on what to look for in a flip, really not knowing much about the real estate landscape?
1: So everything ran by my coach. Like I was trained by him Like every, like every single move that I made was always like audited, I like to say. I'm like, okay, so show me the show me the way. How do I get to these deals? How do I make this happen? Like it was like a step by step. I got like the hand holding the whole time. So he told me, you know, Pam, number one thing is you you fall in love with numbers and not the actual house. And you run numbers and analyze every single property. He's like, but first you've got to figure out like what are you going to buy? You know, what's your budget? What are you going to buy? And then from there, you can work numbers. But if you're kind of in the unknown, like you're going to be all over the place, right? Which is what happens with most investors as they're starting. They want to do everything everywhere. You know, so they live on the East Coast, but they want to do a deal on the West Coast because they think magically somehow it's going to happen, right? So, <laughs> you know, you told me, get very focused on what it is that you want, figure out your asset class, your budget, and then move from there. And I said, well, you know, I'd like to start with a single family. It seems manageable. I don't want to go into like, a two or three unit property when it's my first like rehab, you know, I want to be as low risk as I possibly can. And single family was that. So that's, that's what we were looking for. And we came across an awesome deal um, from a local wholesaler, actually, and uh, picked that deal up. That was like, the that was the deal that made me go all in in real estate, to be honest with you.
2: It sounds so obvious when you say it, because it's sort of like hiring a, a personal trainer at a gym. They just know how to guide you immediately. Hey, this is what you do. This is what you don't do. You do this and this and this. If you do all these things, you'll have results. And uh, I kind of feel like sometimes coaches get way too much of a bad shake in this industry. But it sounds like it ended up working for you pretty pretty fantastically. So I do want to hear about your first flip. Tell us a story. How did it all pan out?
1: Sure. Well, the first day that I pulled up to it, I couldn't find it. I drove by it like 17 times. And I was like, what is this thing? And um I remember going in and it was like terrifying, like it had fallen apart and the family. So the story was that the family had, uh, so the kids were out of state, they're older, they moved out of state and the parents had gone to a nursing home. And so the house had been sitting vacant for a while and serious disrepair, uh, which was super sad because I could see so many different beautiful characteristics in the house, like cathedral ceilings and all this gorgeousness that it had and all the potential that it had. And I remember, you know, the sellers really, you know, the son was mainly handling it. And he said to me, he said something to me and he's like, Pam, you know, please just one thing, like, please restore this house the way we remember it as kids, you know, because that was like our home that we grew up in. And we really like, we just want to see it come back to life because it's so sad to see it in disrepair. So pick that thing up at like 150. It was a it was an awesome deal. You know, I'm like, I wish we could do 150s here and around the Boston Mass Market. And then it was it was a full gut rehab. You know, we added another bathroom and all the things it was it ended up being a three bed, two bath and absolutely came out absolutely gorgeous. And I'll never forget, I sent those photos to the family um, in the video walkthroughs when we were done and they were absolutely mind blown. They're like, how did you do that? Like, it looks absolutely unreal. Like, Pam, thank you so much for restoring that, you know, and our family legacy can now continue, you know, that we're happy that it's at this stage now. And then I'll never forget, I'm sitting there at the open house and I'm like, I'm just soaking it all in. Like, I'm just like, I see the family that actually ended up buying the property and they're interacting with it. They're engaging with it. They're loving it and like, you know, talking about all the details, like all the things and all like the heart and soul that I put into it, they're talking about it. And I'm like, wow, this is the coolest thing in the world. It was like a very surreal experience for me. Kind of sitting back and being like, holy crap, like this is how you, this is how you impact people, right? Like you literally are creating the homes or the properties that people create memories in. Like that's the craziest thing in the entire world like the coolest thing and the greatest privilege.
0: So that was the affirmation. Like I, this is where I'm supposed to be. I'm doing the right thing. Oh my God. Yeah. Now I'm curious because you grew up in the restaurant industry, trying to figure out how do we use space? How do we create an environment that people want to make memories? They're kind of coming here. They're going to eat. They want to, You want them to feel welcome. You want them to be in an environment that they're comfortable. They're going to laugh, tell jokes. You sort of applied that same logic to housing. Do you think that was just, Happenstance, or do you think that some of your background in the entrepreneurial world made it so that designing homes clicked for you?
1: Totally. So it was something that I didn't even realize that I had. Like I can literally walk into a space and see it all. You know, for me, it was like nothing scares me. Still doesn't. And people are amazed by that. Like it'll be just like the crappiest, dingiest. And they're like, Pam, I like. And I'm like, oh, if we take down this wall and this wall, keep this open concept and this and this is like I can see the final product up here. In ways that other people can't, like my visualization skills are on a whole another level when it comes to that, and that's what happened with that property. And and to add some figures and some backdrop on that one, I made a hundred k on that deal. I put in about, I think it was like hundred and twenty five, and then we had some holding costs and stuff, and ultimately sold it for over four hundred. So on my first deal, you know, making pretty much a hundred k profit, you know, I'm thinking to myself as somebody who owns two restaurants, like. How many dinners or sandwiches do I have to sell to net a hundred k? It's a lot. (laughs) It was a lot of sandwiches, right? So it all started clicking for me, and you know, designing out my restaurants. I didn't realize that I had that skill set in designing places and and things, and how that really applied to what was going to happen down the line in real estate, you know, through development and all of that. So it was all connected. I see it now, but at the time I was like always so super confused.
0: So Pam, you have now done over 100 deals. Like we said, when we started the podcast here, what are some lessons that you can share that you've learned along the way?
1: So the top three, I would say is financial forecasting, operational efficiencies and partnerships. So those three things have been the most critical that I've learned. And starting with financial forecasting. Now, I tend to be a very optimistic human being, and the thing is, I'm like, oh, I can get it done within six months. I can get it done, you know, with X amount budget. Found out a couple of times that that really wasn't the case, right? Like I over, I um, under budgeted where I was supposed to, and realized that cash flow is really important, right? Cash is king to keep all the deals moving and flowing, so you don't run into any issues. However, how did I mitigate that, right? And what was the lesson learned there? Number one is. Make sure you're opting in for a contingency on every single one of your deals. Create a cushion for yourself in every deal that you do. I don't care if it's a flip. I don't care if it's a buy and hold. I don't care if it's anything like that. Make sure you're allocating 20 to 25%. Like, Hey, if this goes south, I'm going (laughs) to, I'm going to make sure that I have this in my budget to allocate for that. And guess what? If the project goes awesome and you're just as optimistic as you thought you were going to be, then amazing you get to keep that money at the end of the day, but at least allocate that when you're analyzing the deal from day one. Tying into the financial forecasting model, another item that I would like to add in there is making sure that you have several different exit strategies when it comes to a property. We're in a market where things seem to be changing on a month-by-month basis. So if you're purchasing something as a flip, make sure that you are also running it as a long-term hold just in case that property for some reason isn't selling or it's going to sell for less than what you thought it would so that you're not losing money on the deal. So make sure that when you're running your numbers from day one, you're analyzing different ways that you can get out of that deal with your shirt on. <laughs> so if it's going to be a flip or a buy and hold, make sure you at least got two ways, two ways out. So operational efficiencies. What I found was whenever I would have a deal that was more than 30 minutes away from each other, I would have operational inefficiencies. Because for example, I'm in Boston and there's North Shore and South Shore. And typically there's no contractor who works on the North Shore that's going to go to South Shore. It's just they don't cross certain highways. They work in their zone and that's it. And I found that I lost a lot of time that way, which means I lost a lot of money. So the key here is to make sure that you're centralized operations. So if you've got one project going on and you're looking to scale some more, try to keep them within like 15, 20 minutes of each other. And keep the same contractors on the job. It's going to keep things moving much faster. So that is definitely lesson number two. So number three, partnerships and pretty much all the clan of people that you're going to have around you surrounding you during these projects, which so is a whole lot of people. Making sure that you vet them correctly, right? Make sure that your goals are aligned. And for example, like ask yourself step, question number one, would I have a drink with this person? Would I actually party with this person? The answer is no. Most likely you're not with the right, (laughs) you're not with the right partner. You want to enjoy the company and build long-term relationships, right? You don't want to just, for example, start with one lender and then move on to the next and move on to the next. You want to stay solid with one partner, like one attorney, one lender, that kind of thing. So that that way you're cranking out efficiently and building for the long-term together and have aligned goals. That's super important for long-term growth and scaling.
0: So what's a red flag that you look for in partnerships?
1: some red flags to look out for when you are vetting your partners is like anybody who's really trying to like throw themselves at you I find is like very uncomfortable and strange and never really works out well like if they're trying to throw themselves at you and get very salesy and you can feel that right away you're like okay this is probably not The partner, and then you're going to ask yourself that question. Like, would I actually want to hang out with this person? Probably not because they're like seem very, very clingy, right? (laughs) Like all of these things are things to think about, you know, when you're vetting your partners, because you're going to be dealing with them nonstop. And typically they say that 10% of the people in the market do 90% of the deals. And that's the truth. Like the big dogs, the ones who are out there doing deals are the ones who really don't say much, right? Like they, it's referral basis. They do things, you know, on their own and that kind of thing. That's who you want to be affiliated with for sure.
2: That's awesome. Whenever I used to travel, I would get that creeping feeling did I lock my back door? How do I know my property is going to be safe while I'm away? But not anymore, thanks to Simply Safe Home Security. I'm about to go on a three week trip to Copenhagen, but am I tripping about my trip? Nope. With award winning security and peace of mind from Simply Safe, I don't need to worry. Trade catchy jingles for cash flow with insurance made for investors. Visit enriccom slash bppod to request a proposal. nreigcom dot slash B-P-P-O-D. As home prices and interest rates continue to rise and inventory levels dip, it's getting harder to find quality flips and wholesale deals. When there's not enough on-market inventory to go around, it's time to start looking off-market. Lucky for you, there are millions of homeowners nationwide who own a property they need to get off their hands. I got two words for you, my friend. PropStream it. PropStream is the leading real estate data provider and recognized as a Tech 100 honoree by Housing Wire for the fourth consecutive year. With PropStream, you can search over 155 million properties nationwide using 120-plus search filters like pre-foreclosure, bankruptcy, pre-probate, failed listings, and more to help you find motivated sellers in seconds. PropStream offers both public record data and an MLS sales estimate that's over 99% accurate to help you get the most accurate comps even in non-disclosure states. PropStream also provides lead automation, skip tracing, and a marketing suite with emails, postcards, and custom landing pages to close more deals efficiently. Get started today with their 7-day free trial and get 50 leads for free. Head on over to www.propstream.com. That's www.propstream.com. Your competitors are fighting for your customers' attention, so how do you stand out? Easy. Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results fast. Reach new audiences, grow your customer list, sell more, raise more, and fast-track your growth. Constant Contact makes it easy to promote your business through email and SMS marketing, social media, and even events management. Don't know much about marketing? Don't sweat it, because Constant Contact's writing assistance tools and automation features help you say the right thing at the right time, every time. And with my boot camps and live events, I just don't have the time to clone myself. So I just let Constant Contact do the marketing for me, and you should too. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact. Helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. And what advice would you give to new investors?
1: What would I say to new real estate investors or those who are just simply interested in real estate in general? Well, first things first is you've got to ask yourself, do you want to be a passive or an active investor? Right? That's the that's the first place to start because real estate is a very overwhelming type of industry. You can make money everywhere. The question is, how do you want to make it? And how does it suit your lifestyle and fit your needs? So Are you going to go passive, which means you're investing in a fund and then you get your dividends in return and you're kind of hands off on the deal? Or is it that you want to be an active investor and like purchase properties and be hands on and kind of do the thing, right? Whether it's buy buy and hold or do fix or flip deals. So that's the question to start with baseline, like, hey, passive or active, and then before you do absolutely anything else, that's step number one. Now, for step number two for advice for new investors is, how do you choose your market because I oh my god, this this has been one that I've had to guide so many, so many people on, and I'm like, listen, st- it doesn't have to be super complicated. Just start in your market when I started literally some of the best market that I knew was West Roxbury here based in Boston, Massachusetts, because that's where I delivered pizzas, and literally, I was like, well, this is where I have the relationships the best. This is where I know every street." This is where I know all the things. So why would I now start here? You know, when I become super big, then I can go crazy and go everywhere else. So the f- third piece of advice for new real estate investors, anyone interested in getting into the real estate game is surrounding yourself with like-minded people and creating partnerships off of that, right? Because in the beginning, like when I had absolutely no idea what I was doing in real estate, didn't know anything about it. I started going to networking events. Essentially, I wanted to surround myself with real estate developers because that's what I knew I wanted to do. I had decided that I wanted to be an active investor, that I wanted to flip a couple of houses a year. I knew I wanted to do it in my market, which was in Boston. So I was I looked for events in Boston that I could go out and meet like-minded people and people who were doing deals in that market. So that's super important. I mean, if you're connecting with people, like say you're on the East Coast and you're connecting with people on the West Coast it to be a little bit different because those are different markets, right? So surround yourself with like-minded people that are doing the things that you want to do in your market, most specifically, and if not, somewhere close by. And from there, you can start to meet your lenders, your attorneys, there's contractors, there's other real estate investors, and you start to get all of these tips. And sometimes in the very beginning you may not be equipped to handle a deal completely by yourself. So maybe there's somebody that you can partner with at one of those events that you meet. I hear that all the time. So those are definitely the top three things I would suggest when getting started.
0: What are some of the skills that you gained working in your family's restaurants and then running yours that you feel translated into real estate? And what I'm hoping for here is people that are in a position right now. They work for a CPA. They're a paralegal. Uh, they're a nurse. They have something where they have built skills and we want them to understand how that could translate into real estate success and make the transition easier for them.
1: So first and foremost, I think that everyone who wants to start a business or get into real estate should have the prerequisite of working as a bartender and or waitress or waiter um, before they do that, because that is like the be- the biggest pressure test of all time, right? So being in restaurants since I was 10 years old, I was I was taught to improvise. I was taught customer service skills, how to connect with people like how to manage a million different things at once, operations, things like all these things that I didn't even know were like second, became second nature to me, you know? And so translating into real estate, you know, managing people, you know, motivating people, helping them when there was deals, you know, because in real estate, we have, we put out fires all the time. That translated over beautifully, all of it, because all the skills that I built in the restaurant world, completely translated over. Even though it seems like completely different industries, it, it touched on the same things, right? You're problem solving at the end of the day. You're literally problem solving in relationships, which I love. And so for anyone who's out there that's looking to transition into real estate, I mean, I say this all the time to everyone that I know. I'm like, guys, real estate fits into your life differently, right? Whether you're a nurse, doctor, whatever. If you want completely passive income, invest in a fund. And just close your eyes and that's how you're going to get invested in real estate. If you want to be hands-on, then it's going to be a little bit more different than that. But just know that there's different ways for you to get involved in real estate that there could be ways that doesn't work for most people, but it works for you, right? Like maybe you side hustle on the side and you want to be a real estate agent because you want to get closer to the deals maybe you partner with a local developer and invest in their deals i mean there's a million different ways you get in, get involved with real estate and just because like you're a nurse or a doctor you're in a totally different industry does not mean that it can stop you from investing in it i mean listen your your primary residence is real estate right there so you know you choose how active how passive and how deep you want to go just don't be afraid of it and if you are afraid of it and if you're are afraid of that risk then just kind of back up and say, who can I align with that can make this a little bit easier, right? Like m- maybe it's a local developer, like I was mentioning, or, or something. Something that you're taking the risk off yourself because there's people that I've heard that are like, oh, Pam, you know, to be successful in real estate, I've heard you've got to quit everything and put all this money in and do all this. I'm like, guys, no, that is like the biggest lie ever. Like just because one person did it one way doesn't mean. It's going to translate the same for you, you know,
0: question for you. Cause I worked in restaurants all the way through college. Do you still get those anxiety fueled dreams where you're in the restaurant and you're trying to put the pizza in the box and you drop it on the floor and then you try to open the next box and it won't open. And then you realize you left the pizza in the oven and it's burned and the phone's ringing it and like everything is going wrong and you can't get your hands to work. Like, Am I the only one that has those terrible nightmares or have you had those two?
1: I have completely had those too, Dave. Honestly, I absolutely have. And it's so funny because I used to deliver pizzas as well. So like sometimes I would drive too fast and the cheese wasn't fully settled on that top on that top layer. And if it had toppings and I, I'll like open it and I'll be like, oh, my God, the green peppers are everywhere. And like, you know, it's you're not alone. You're totally not alone on that one. Rob, did you ever
0: have anything like that? similar nightmares to your in your past jobs? Um never. You didn't have a marketing dream where they're like, "Rob, what is your great idea?" and you're just like, "Oh my god, I don't have one" and everyone's staring at you disappointed.
2: Yeah, I guess my nightmare was that I would be so successful at my 9 to 5 that I'd keep getting promoted and then settle into the status quo of just like living day to day for, you know, the corporate uh, the corporate machine that bogs us down and doesn't really ever let us spread our wing and, and fly away. And so, yeah, that was my nightmare for a long time, but, Thank goodness I'm a real estate investor now. So
0: your nightmare was that I you were too good at what you did and you just got too comfortable <laughs> that they would tell me I was yeah. too ambitious. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, thank you for it, those things are real, dude. When you work in the service industry, you are dealing with so much pressure and anxiety that's like building up, and you just don't realize it. It all comes out in your dreams, and years later, I was doing that a long time ago, like twenty years later. I'm still having these nightmares. I'm glad it's just not me. This inspires me to start a YouTube series with you
2: cuz you know we always get the the headlines like I'm sure the headline for this podcast is like from $9 pizzas to nine-figure portfolio, but we never we never hear like we it's always like from waiter to millionaire, but we never hear from millionaire to waiter. And so maybe you and I do a YouTube series where we go back to our grassroots and become a waiter again.
0: That could be fun. And see if we still have the chops. Yeah, see if we still have what it takes. Maybe like make an instructional video for other people. I could do that. Here's how you learn how to be a good waiter. I've often thought of that because like everybody wants to be the millionaire, but sometimes you got to be good at what you're doing to build the skills like what uh P- Pamela was just saying. She got good at this, which translated to this, which translated to this, and ultimately led you, Pam, to where you are today versus trying to skip that whole process and not giving your and that's my philosophy is you have to pursue excellence with where you are that will open up doors to get you somewhere new so let's recap your current portfolio 27 properties the president of a real estate consulting and development company a nine-figure net worth by the age of 30
1: what's next so it's interesting that yes that was a beautiful recap uh It's been a hell of a journey though. You know, going into flips that I got into construction because I was boots on the ground the whole time. And then getting into brokerage because people are like, Pam, you're leaving money on the table by not getting involved in these deals. Everyone's asking you for advice. So that's kind of how the trifecta of all three came up. And that's how I really built this career was through diversified revenue streams in real estate, not just development. And kind of when I got to my first net seven figure year is when I had this little tap on the shoulder that's like, "Mm, pam. This is when I was 27. You're doing great things for yourself. What are you doing for the world? And I was like, well, damn. And then that's, you know, that's when I started kind of soul searching and, you know, dove into wanting to get into the coaching space because again, realizing that real estate changed my life. Right. And so that's kind of what has been happening alongside all of this, you know, the development, the construction, all that stuff, the consulting and the coaching side of things is really helping people get to the next level. And then really thinking about intention has really been the next thing that I'm really like honed in on. And Rob, I'm so interested because I know you're in this space to hear what you say about this, but building with intention and kind of studying like, what does the world need now? Like anyone can do build condos, anyone can build, you know, build new construction, anyone can flip, anyone can do all of that stuff, right? You just need to learn the skill set. But I really want to build with intention. And what is it that I want to build? I want to get into affordable housing. And what I mean by that is things that are can be reasonably built for a reasonable cost, which really doesn't exist in the construction industry right now. I've watched it for the last decade. I've been part of it. You know, one project can last you an entire year. Whereas if you get into creating a tiny home development or a shipping home container development, you are kind of accelerating the pedal much faster. You're not dealing with as much construction overhead. Most of all, you save time. And so that's kind of what I'm working on next is how do we develop these communities that people can actually afford that could be done fairly quickly and that we build with intention? How do we build these communities kind of across the country? So that's where my mind is, is next, to be honest with you. And, you know, I am expecting twin girls in August. So that's a big one in terms of family. Yay! Congrats. Thank you. But in terms of real estate and business, it's it's the investment side. I really want to be building with intention, and then on the real estate front. I mean, I'm always helping people elevate through real estate, which is whether it's through coaching, consulting, you know, still building up my portfolio as well. But that's kind of where where it's all at right now. I mean, it's just it's such a legacy builder. Real estate is the freedom vehicle, period.
2: Well, let me ask you. Let me ask you this. uh, You know, as we as we wrap up here. Why should you be looking for deals from your pizza guy?
1: Oh, my gosh. Remember, real estate is a local business. When I first started in real estate, I'm not even joking. I printed out like I want to buy your house, put my cell phone number and I was like, text me or call me. And I printed these out and put them on the pizza boxes at my family's restaurant because my family sold this restaurant about a year and a half ago. So they had it when I first started in investing and I put it on every pizza box. And believe it or not, I'd have agents call me, homeowners call me. And they're like, "Hey, Pam, like we didn't know you were in real estate. Like this is super cool. Like, <laughs> like I have an uncle who's looking to sell us two family or whatever." And I'm like, all my deals happened organically through my relationships, which was amazing. And that's how I got a steal of a deal at the, even the the biggest height of the market, which was insane. But yeah, the total valuable tool. Small businesses are so key for the locations that you want to get into. And the local pizza guy is the guy. He's going to get you the deals.
0: All right, Pamela, thank you so much for sharing your story. I think this is awesome. Uh, It's a wonderful like, American success story. You started off with an entrepreneurial family. Your father starts a business. He's not afraid to start in the trenches, delivering pizzas himself, bringing you in the car with him. You guys, he's bringing you to work and you're making these memories and bonding together as you're jamming out to the music of DJ Pammy B. You go from cassette tapes to CDs to MP3s and eventually start your own business, realize you're too ambitious for the corporate world, follow in their footsteps, but amplify the success that your family had, making it even bigger. Uh, not afraid to do things differently, like putting your information on a pizza box and finding the right mentors. I love hearing this. I hope more people are inspired by this and copy it. Rob, what do you think?
2: Um, I, I agree with that. I think uh, we have a story of adaptability and how that turned, uh,
0: you know, how that cre- helped create a nine figure portfolio. So Pamela, for people that want to know more about this fascinating journey you've been on, where can they reach out and find out more about you?
1: Absolutely. So I'm, on Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, all over Pamela Bardi, B-A-R-D-H-I. And it's also my website, www.pamelabarty.com. To reach out and find me there. DM me. Like I'm all, I'm always floating around. Just living life. So please reach out to me anytime, any way that I can help you. Like I'm here, man. I just want to see people rock it and slay it. I mean what real estate has done in my life, I mean from delivering pizzas to a nine figure real estate career featured in Forbes and time magazine. By the time I was 27, like if that can happen for me, a kid that came to this country with absolutely nothing and was able to build that just to hustle. It can totally happen for you.
0: It all started with avoiding that Boston accent. I really think that the skills that you built resisting the urge led to the amazing success you have now, Rob, where can people find out more about you?
2: Oh, they can find out more about me on the Apple Podcast uh, store where you can leave us a five-star review. Uh, and we uh, appreciate it. I appreciate it so much that I'm not even going to plug my channels because I would rather you just go there. Just give us a quick little, oh, hey, five-star. Rob and Dave are so funny. Uh, we love these guys. We learned so much about real estate. That way we can get served up to new audiences and, and hopefully inspire more people to have amazing stories like Pam.
0: David, what about you? Well, I need a pity follow because Rob has so many more followers on YouTube than me. So I will ask for a pity follow. I am not too proud to beg. Please go to YouTube.com at... David Green 24 and subscribe to my channel there or check out davidgreen24.com or davidgreen24 all over social media the most boring screen name in all of the real estate space which forces me to make up for it with better content pam thanks again so much this was a blast thank you for sharing your story we'll have to have you back on again this is david green for pamela the life of the party party and rob salt bay abisolo signing up